Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1, and by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast. It is, of course, Remembrance Week, and we thought we'd tackle a subject which has been subject to a lot of interest in more recent years. Uh, It's a bit of an interesting subject. It is fairly well covered, if we're being honest, but it's all down to interpretation. It's going to be an interesting chat with Pete, who I'm, of course, joined by, and it's going to be something we're going to really be able to get our, our sort of teeth sunk into. So we're talking about the subject shot at dawn the title of this podcast essentially so we're looking at those those guys who were uh, shot or some might even say executed or or sort of uh, add flesh to the bones through the course of the episode during the first world war so pete thanks for joining us how you keeping mate yeah i'm doing good mate yourself not too bad at all i always find myself a little bit not necessarily emotional this time of year but very reflective so it's it's quite nice in a way to cover this episode because it's it, as i say it's one of those subjects that you know people get incredibly sort of moved by and incredibly passionate about as well so i think parking emotions to one side for the course of this episode is really yes. key to sort of interpreting it fairly and not using what many people do the modern mind to look back and judge things that happened in our collective past so i think really we ought to start this episode looking way before you know sentence execution or whatnot is passed uh, and looking at, at court martial so for anyone who doesn't know what court martial is a very quick background uh, we have in in this country uh, civil law uh, criminal law uh, but you also have kind of well let's say martial law to an extent this is where the the army the armed forces will sort of uh, you know have have court martials so pete is the subject expert for this episode so pete give us a real sort of flushed out uh, view on on how the army was operating let's say at the start of the of the great war in terms of uh sort of law and order yeah cheers steve yeah, yeah it's something very important to remember for this episode before we start getting the hate mail is you know you got we got to look at this from the fact perspective and not from modern interpretation on how we think today and from say films and things like that so this is very very important so with that i will go on (laughs) so uh punishment crime punishment in the army it's something the army has had to deal with since the days of the romans um because soldiers are always going to get into trouble and they're always going to cause trouble so you've got to keep on top of them and that was no different to the soldier of the first world war especially when we're coming into the volunteer armies um 1914 you know the british expeditionary force when they go over to france they are the professional army, but they still have that law and order that they always abide by. But then when it comes into that volunteer army, all those volunteers, you're now basically dealing with a civilian army. So you're dealing with blokes who won't necessarily have just gone, I'm going to join the army tomorrow because that's going to be my choice of career. These aren't career soldiers. These are blokes who have gone and volunteered to do their bit. So the army's got to keep on top of them. Um, So the army retains its law and order. People may find it harsh 
but that's what the army was back then. It was a hard life. And the type of men that you'd have in the army, you need to be um what's the word? You need you need they need they need to be ruled with an iron fist, basically. So they need to be have they need to have examples uh given to them to say, you do this, this is what's gonna happen to you. Um and so on and so forth. So military punishment as a whole had does have a range. So you've got your small scale misdemeanors. If I was to say to you, Steve, what is a small scale misdemeanor? What would be the first thing that comes into your head? From an army perspective, I would probably say drunkenness, low level assault, perhaps, just as a bit of a kind of stab in the dark. I'm probably wrong, but there we go. Yeah, well, assault would be uh, more severe. That 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 actually that actually go up a couple of tiers. That especially if you're um, assaulting a NCO, a senior NCO, or even an officer as well. So that so that it depends on what sort of grounds that that happens on depends on where you're going with it but what i mean is uh shaving is one so if you're not shaving because the army loves it when you shave if you're not shaving then it'll be a um, that will be a misdemeanor late for parades um not being on time for things so that's that's misdemeanor so you, you got an inspection and you believe you're um you got buttons undone, you know, your, your tunic buttons are undone or a button is undone. That's a misdemeanor. So these are really like simple day-to-day mistakes, okay? So they will be dealt with at NCO level. So that will be dealt with there and then by the NCO or indeed the soldier's platoon commander. Or it could be the platoon sergeant deals with that. So it depends on what the civility of that misdemeanor is. All depends on when it gets dealt with, but it'd be dealt with there and then. So punishment for that would either be a detail. So that could be extra duties in the cookhouse. You could put put, put extra guard duty, um, or you'll just do some really stupid task, which is meaningless, but it's to try and hone that message in. Or you'll get a slap because <laughs> yeah, it's quite as simple as that. You'll um you know, you'll get you'll get the back of you'll get a back of the NCO's hand, and there'll be nothing you can do about it because that's just the way life is. So then we move into uh, more moderately serious offences. So this is where we start seeing like hitting people and all the rest of it. But then when we get into the more serious matters, this is when this is going up to like company level. So this will be your company commanders will be dealing with this uh, matter. So it won't be so much your platoon commander dealing with this anymore. It'll be your company commander. And if it's even more serious than that, that's where it then becomes the battalion commander. And that's where it starts leading to court-martial territory. So when we move into court-martial territory, there is, believe it or not, four different types of court-martial a soldier could go through during the First World War. So before we even get to what the outcome... Because each each court-martial... The reason why each court-martial is tiered is because... Each one has its maximum sentencing. So what I mean by that is, is you have the maximum sentence that can be given to that soldier from that court. Some 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 of them will be death. You know, that is the ultimate sentence they can give. Or you've got others, which is not. You can't give the death sentence. All you can do is give severe punishment, like a hard punishment like prison or jail. But we'll go into that in a moment. So, Steve... Do you want to? So, shall we have a bit of a guessing game? 
So where we're now on the subject of getting into court marshals, shall we go through the crimes that could actually warrant a court, well, which would actually warrant a court martial? I think that'd be brilliant because although my grandfather was in the armed forces in, in the 30s, he was um, in a court martial. Um, so it'll be quite interesting to start going through all of these um, not sort of uh, various sort of offences. So I'm keen to hear these. So this is one of the things we've got to look at as well uh, before before you start the guessing game, Steve, is remember is for the, for the listeners, some of these crimes would, if they are, if, you know, if the sentence is death, nine times out of 10, that would actually be death in civilian street as well, because we still have capital punishment in this country at this time. So also bear that in mind as well. So military law, with some things, it will be higher. But then when you look at it in the civilian world, the parallels are almost aligned. Okay. So let's go with the first one. Yeah, this, this is a good this one's uh well, so, da, da, da. here we go. Behaving in a scandalous manner, unbecoming the character of an officer and a gentleman. Wow. And that is what punishable by death? No, it's not. So, so that so in if we put that into more into more simple terms, <laughs> behaving in a scandalous manner, unbecoming to the character of an officer and a gentleman. Basically, that means is misbehaving severely, misbehaving. So this could be an officer that's had an affair or something like that, but it's cause a scandal within the battalion or something like that. So he, so his maximum punishment would be what they call cashiering. That basically means you resign. They're kicking you out of the army. So that would be dishonourable just dishonourable discharge, that could be. Right, let's go on to the next one. Willfully destroying property without orders. I would say that's not punishable by death, surely. Penal servitude. So fairly close then, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a this 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 is a interesting one because this this will come up at some point. Shamefully casting away arms in the presence of the enemy. Now I would say that is going to be punishable by death because that kind of it is. starts fulfilling the yeah the criteria of, of desertion. It does, yeah, and that's something we'll cover a little bit later on. That's why I wanted to bring put that one in there because that comes up quite a lot, especially when you're looking into the court-martial cases, especially for the desertion ones as well, because that's a question that always comes up, that they cast away their arms. So this one uh, is another interesting one. Committing an offence against the person of a resident in a country in which he is serving. Mm, that's an interesting one, because that almost makes me think of the whole hearts and minds element. Uh, I mm. would say it's not going to be punishable by death. It is. That is the maximum no. sentence. Yep. No Ma- maximum sentence for that would be death. Yeah. Wow. That's that starts to put things into perspective a little bit. Jeez. Um, so let's go. Let's do two more. Uh, breaking into a house in search of plunder. So basically, that's burglary. <laughs> that I would think is going to be punishable by death. But I might it's, have to ask yeah. the audience on that. Oh, I am right. <laughs> I was yeah, say, yeah. 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 That, that is punishable by death. Trying to find a good one that could be very... Would it be deaf? Would it not be deaf? Ah, here we go. So, final one. And I think this one, especially when it comes to the First World War, is is, is a bit of a... It's definitely going to make you think, I think, Steve. 
disobeying a lawful command given by his superior officer. Ah, no. I, I feel like I'm falling into a trap. I can almost hear Admiral Akbar in my ear saying it's a trap. Um, <laughs> but I, I would, I would say that is going to be punishable by death because it's making me think. Well, if you're disobeying an order, then you're kind of like I don't know. It's a tricky one. I'm just going to say, yeah, I think that's going to be punishable by death. That is incorrect. So disobeying no, a lawful no. command given by his superior officer, maximum sentence would be penal servitude. Uh, that shocked me. Uh, it was a trap then. It was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that, That's just a taster of um, of the... These are the sort of crimes that we're moving into. So just, uh, just skim them, skimming through. I'm not going to say what the sentences are, but you got... Uh, leaving his CO to go out in search of plunder, uh, forcing a safeguard, forcing a soldier when acting as a sentinel, misbehaving before the enemy in such a manner as to show cowardice, shamefully delivering up a garrison to the enemy, committing the offence of murder, drunkenness. So drunkenness is actually going to court-martial. Depends, obviously, how severe this soldier's drunk. But uh, yeah, so so there's a good thirty offences that is liable for you to go to court martial. But bearing in mind that would be one of the four styles of court martial. Now, once we've worked out the civility of the crime or potential civility of the crime, so just go by by a few of those. Remember, that's the maximum death sentence that can be given for that crime. Not be, it's not that is the sentence you're going to get. That's the maximum. So the four court marshals are as follows. So you got a general court martial. So that'll be so the maximum punishment for a general court martial will be death. A district court martial. So you could either get two years, uh, two years labour, or reduction of the rank, uh, reduction in rank, or a discharge. So that's a district one. So that would tend to be a battalion. That'd be an in-house thing. Obviously, a regimental one. Forty-two days detention, and then you got field general court martial, which is death. So you got two will give you death, and the other two won't give you death as their maximum sentence. So in the, in the context of the First World War, how many um, sort of blokes were were sentenced to death during the Great War? What kind of numbers are we dealing with? And what are the are those the top offences we spoke about? What are the, the most common offences that these guys are going to, to uh, you know, to be shot at dawn? What, what were they? 3,080 were sentenced to death which amounts for all the other punishments, that amounts for 1.1% of court-martial punishments during the First World War. So, wow, that's that's quite a, quite a number, really. So, over over 3,000. I'll say that's quite a number. Actually, coming into this chat and hearing those numbers, I actually thought it would be a lot higher. I actually thought we'd be probably talking like tens of thousands. Um, obviously, in recent years, like growing up, uh, hearing it in the news and seeing things, you know, quite a big things made of the shot at dawn and, you know, just reinforcing that point with parts of motion to one side for it. I actually thought there'd be, it'd be in the tens of thousands, but I mean, 3,000, of course, is still a lot in that sense. But what are, what are the, the sort of most common, um, sort of like 
crimes as as they were uh, that that seem to be uh, seem to be popping up. Why why the guys you know being shot in particular? What, what's the most common crime? And I'm hearing that figure, Steve. You're one of many. I was one before I started looking into the shot at Dongs. I, you know, everyone's led to every school child is led to believe, or you know, by watching the war films and that, you would think it was the tens of thousands of men that were executed. But that's one of those myths of the First World War, where people with that modern thinking or twisting history going. Yeah, it was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, but it was 3,000 that were sentenced. Yeah, again, like we said, there's still a lot of people to sentence to death, and for some of these crimes, it's like, mm, really? So that 3,080 were sentenced. So out of that 3,080, only, three, only 346 were actually carried out. So that's so out of that 3,000 or just over 3,000 men that were sentenced to death, 346 were actually put to death. So that's actually a significant, like, small, lower number. Uh, so is that, what, only 10% of, of guys, total guys sentenced actually were were executed, killed, whichever yeah. you want to call it? Pretty much, wow. yeah. And then if we go into the breakdown, some of them, it's like, yeah, I can see why they actually went through with it <laughs> it's uh so at the very top we've got murder so 37 men were executed for murder which is again that's a punishment at the time in civvy street if you murdered someone in civilian life you'd get hanged so that's so that's 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 a punishment that's very much uh, relatable on civvy street at the time uh striking or being violent to superiors, six. Disobedience, five. Mutiny, three. Sleeping at post, two. Casting away arms, two. Quitting their post, seven. Cowardice in front of the enemy, 18. And desertion, 200. And sixty six. That's quite an interesting breakdown, then. I mean, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say we can discount murder from that total number because, as you quite rightly say, that's you know, on Civvy Street at that point. Whether you agree with it or not, that's that was the, the law of the land. So that's kind of to be expected, shall we say? And the threshold to, to reach that is going to be, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, of course. Maybe, yeah. I mean, again, just like looking at those numbers, that's that's really interesting because I, I've always wrongfully assumed uh it's now coming to light that it, we are we were talking huge numbers of you know guys that were, were sentenced for you know cowardice desertion casting away arms um that's that's quite quite interesting really that's that's kind of yeah i've, I've got to protest that that's really interesting it is isn't it and it and it proper slaps that theory around the face when it goes there was hundreds and hundreds of men shot for cowardice and desertion well 266 were desertion. So where we're coming into this realm of um, people being shot for cowardice, well, so official records says 18. So for actual cowardice, 18 men were executed. So where's this hundreds and thousands or thousands of men now executed for cowardice? You know, it, it, it definitely puts in that perspective. But what I think is, well, 
my belief is I think some of these some of these men would fall into one particular category. So it's like, you know, casting away arms, two, desertion, 266, cowardice and fuck the enemy, 18, quitting their post, 17, uh, seven, sorry, not 17. I think that number, those three or four, sorry, you got your casting away arms, because that's only two as well. And there's this other one as well. It's, it's just uh, shot up in front of my face. Is that sleeping at your post? Now, again, many people who teach first of all history will sometimes make you lead to believe again, falling your sleep is punishable by death, which it was, which it plainly says in black and white. It says that in the army law that you could be sentenced to death from it uh, by, by committing that offense of falling asleep. And it tells you in war films as well, don't fall asleep or they'll shoot you. Well, only two men were ever executed over it. You know, it's, so it's showing again, it's that those myths of the First World War where it's a myth, but there's a truth to it. So, yes, there was blokes who were killed for sleeping at their post. There was blokes executed for casting away arms. But I think definitely the casting away arms, cowardice in front of the enemy, uh, quitting post, and I suppose to the extent desertion as well, all falls into that same sort of category. And this is where I think we get that um, thing of, yeah, they're all, they're, they're all shot for cowardice because casting away arms in another way is saying you're, it's cowardice, isn't it, in a way? Um, desertion, well, desertion's desertion. Um, and quitting their post. Now, quitting your post, is that, isn't that not another form of, desertion you know um or in some instances cowardice you know it's it's interesting when you when you actually look at those figures it does make you think doesn't it it doesn't half and being completely honest it's a very very minute percentage of the total number of british and commonwealth you know soldiers that are out not just on the western front but across you know the whole all theaters of, of war but i'm gonna go out on a little bit of a limb here i'm not trained in the medical profession whatsoever but I should imagine there's a, there's a fair percentage of those blokes that were executed. Had they been around, say, in the Second World War or, you know, any any time after, that they wouldn't have, uh, have fallen foul of, of those laws and they would, would have got the correct medical help. There's that, all that understanding. I think it would be fair to say that it was a huge learning curve in the Great War for people. You know, we, we talk about shell, uh, shell shock, as they called it then. You know, we know it know it now as PTSD, of course. And I think that there's a fair percentage of those blokes did fall foul of those laws for one medical or, or mental health issue or another. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And at the same time, I think it's that modern interpretation of history in that as well. Because that's another thing a lot of people say is go, oh, well, all these men that were shot at dawn all had PTSD. Well, I don't, or, you know, shell shock, what we'd call PTSD today. And it's, it's like, well, yes, there, there, there probably was, and there, and there was, but not every man would have had PTSD or, you know, some sort of stress. You got, you got some blokes who just went, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm going. Um, there was uh, I can I can't remember life of me their names now, but there was two men who deserted. Um, they both they grew up together. 
they grew up together, went into the same regiment together, fought together, side by side, best mates, um, and that's it, inseparable. Now, one of them got a letter from his family saying about his wife being seriously ill. Potentially, she was dying. He put in for leave and said, I need to get home to see my wife. Now, he put the leave in. They turned around and said, no, you ain't going home. You're staying here. He took it on himself. said, you know what? I'm going to go and see my wife and I'll just turn me, and I'll just turn up when I've seen her. I just need to turn up and see how she's doing. If she is dying, I want to say goodbye to my wife. And then I'll just hand myself in and see what happens from there on. His mates turned around to him. He said, okay, if you're going, I'm going with you because I'm, I'm not going to leave you to do this on your own. And they got all the way to a port. I think they got to Boulogne, I think they got to, onto an American merchant ship. And it was there that they got found out where they tried stowing away, then got handed over to the British authorities. Both men ended up getting, obviously, arrested, imprisoned. Then they went for court-martial, and both of them ended up being shot at dawn. Those two blokes weren't suffering from PTSD. They were just doing something they thought was right. And yes, as you rightfully pointed out, you can't put this blanket sort of uh, modern mindset and say, oh, well, these these 306 guys, they were all suffering from what we know now as PTSD. You know, there is going to be, by the law of averages, someone who, you like you say, will just turn around and go, do you know what? I can't bother with this anymore. I've had enough. I've been here for three and a half years. I'm going home. See you later. And, you know, the, the rules are, the army regulations are, if you, you quit your post or you throw your arms down, then, you know, you, you will suffer the consequences. So it's it's very, very intriguing. But like I say, it's, it's def- it was definitely a learning curve, the Great War in that sense. And it, there's clearly, you know, aftershocks from the, the, what happened during the Great War. So moving away, end of the First World War, what was the sort of line of transit, the sort of journey for the army in terms of, because... I've never heard anything of the Second World War where guys were, were shot at dawn. So I'm presuming um, that at some point between the two wars, there was uh, a law came in or they changed the law and abolished the death penalty, presumably. Yes, they did. And that moved in, it was the 1930s. It was it was decided in the 1930s that they weren't going to um, execute soldiers, basically, uh, only for uh, civic offences in the sense of murder then yeah then that would be um that sort of offence so yeah it's that's that that's they changed it then then it was going to be like uh imprisonment because that's the other thing as well is like well if those 346 men were actually executed what happened to the others you know that's over a thousand men what happened to them well they either got reprieved um managed to put a good case together um or their sentences were changed they were just given like a stint in prison or something like that. That's what happened to those other men who got put to death as well. And I think the army decided that was the best way to handle them uh, for your deserters, casting away arms, all them sort of people, either cashier them, because it's a peacetime army as well. You're, it's a police, you know, you're all you're doing really that now at this point, you're just policing the empire. So they must have turned around and thought, you know what? It's easy just to get rid of them. So don't shoot them, just get rid of them, uh, cashier them as they'd say. So, yeah, and I think that's why you don't really see or hear anything of the Second War of that sort of thing going on. So I know from my sort of uh, criminal law sort of uh, hat on that uh, it was in, in the 19, late 1930s, there was quite a lot of clamour in the UK for the uh, sort of abolition of the death penalty. 
And the, the Second World War put that kind of on ice. And it wasn't until, what, the 1960s, 1970s when it was, you know, uh, sort of repealed in that sense and the death penalty no longer existed. But I was really unsure about the army. But that's really interesting to kind of know that as early as 1930, they'd, they'd abolished it. And it was kind of a case of, well, if you're on duty as a soldier then and you murdered someone, then, or, or suspicion of murder, I should say, then it's being dealt with by the, uh, the the sort of criminal courts down, you know, the police route. And the reason why I find that quite interesting is I researched my grandfather on my dad's side. I was a little bit appalled to see a couple of, uh, well, a court-martial um, on, on there, uh, which I now know to not be a, a court-martial it would have been. But it was up for attempted murder uh, over on the northwest frontier in the 1930s. He was found not guilty, I hasten to add. But when I saw that and my dad found out and the rest of the family we were really appalled by it, but uh, it's kind of comforting in a way, I, I suppose, to know that he wouldn't have been, you know, sort of dealt with by, by the military. It would have been a civil law and it would be a jury because the, the, a little point that's worth maybe picking up on, and hopefully you've got the answer to this, Pete, that's a little bit of a sidestep. If someone found themselves in front of a court-martial in the First World War, would they be judged by their, their equals in terms of a jury or would it be um, their, their peers, like the officers, a board of officers, uh, condemning them in that sense. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. That's a very good question, Stephen. I'm glad you've asked it. Well, it's what I'm here for. <laughs> so army law was very rigorous. Um, it was a rule book. And it was to the letter. So these four different styles of court martial, it had its they had their own ways of doing things. There would be a panel. It worked like a similar how a courtroom would work today. So you'd have a judge who would be the overview and officer. So you have your judge, depending on the severity of the crime. So if you're going into these uh like general and uh fill uh into these ones that are going to give death sentences, you could have a colonel sat there in front of you. You'd have a prosecution. You'd have a defence as well. So you got so the defence for a enlisted soldier would have some of what they called the soldier's friend. So you got you know you got to understand a lot of these men, especially when it comes to the volunteer army, even to like regular army to an extent, they're not educated like we are today. You know. You think, you know, you, the amount of people that we've met in our lifetime who think they know the law better than anybody else who actually know the square root of nothing. <laughs> and when you've got men who haven't, you know, watched the bill or any crime programs or anything like that, you know, it's a completely different world to them. They have no idea what's going on. 
Um, so that's where the soldier's friend comes in. And the soldier's friend would usually be the man's platoon commander or someone like that. Um, and he would represent them because technically being an officer, you're a lot better educated. You've got a bit more of a better understanding of the way the world works, just, you know, just despite the fact that you might be only like 18 or 19 yourself as that officer. <laughs> um, they were there to defend you. So they were your they were your lawyer i suppose you know they were your defense so in an ideal world so this is this will be the the layout of each of these court martials so we'll start off with the general court martial now a general court martial we have a minimum members of five um nine in the uk india malta and gibraltar minimum service of each member will be three years service the rank of president, so that'd be the judge, uh, an officer with field rank, a colonel, if possible. Um, the reason why they want a colonel there is because the maximum sentence is death. Then we move into the district court martial. Now, a district court martial will have a minimum numbers of mi minimum numbers of members will be three. Almost have a minimum of two years service. Um president must be an officer with field rank a captain may sit if no senior officer is available maximum powers so that's your maximum sentence two years hard labor reduction to, of an nco to the ranks or discharge then your regimental court martial um again three you've got three members with a minimum of one year service president a captain uh, 40 and you're sentencing 42 days detention so then we go into the last one which was one that actually appeared during the first one which your field general court martial so number of members would be three two if no third officer available but powers were limited no service experience with uh there's no uh, criteria for numbers of years of service for this either. So it could vary to what experience you've got amongst the uh, members of the court. Uh, so the president, an officer with field rank, a captain may sit if no senior officer available. And that's an interesting one because obviously when we move into a general court-martial, you want a colonel sitting there, but now we've come into these field, uh, now the, the uh, field general court marshals. It's like our oh, captain will do. So that shows also what could what could be the situation of the time um, going on, and also the maximum sentence of that is death. So that, in an ideal world, is how each of these courts would run uh, with the members who would be standing. So these would be your, so like I said, it'd be a judge, a jury, a defence, and a prosecution. Now, this then goes into this darker side of the First World War. Now, this is where these kangaroo courts, where we hear about it in popular history, about, you know, the young 17-year-old lad thrown in front of a court-martial, didn't know what was going on, and he gets sentenced to death. Now, these this is where those stories now come from because where this would be set out properly it could be set out in a proper room a, a properly laid out room 
now some of these court martials, especially the general or the field general court martials, could be it could be in a hotel room or somewhere like that. And there's one lad who, again, by this this was a young lad. Now that's another thing with the First World War is a lot of people think that all these men that are executed for desertion and cowardice were all underage soldiers. Well, yes, that yes, some of them were. But there was blokes in their 30s being executed as well. So that's also something you've got to remember. So these kangaroo courts, so a lot of this rule book goes out the window. And you find this with some of these, uh, especially with the younger soldiers. And I think this is where this uh, popularity of all these lads were underage or they were 18 or 17, 16, and they were put in front of a firing squad and executed for cowardice. Now, I think that's where some of these lads come in and 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 uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why, Steve. So these so some of these young lads they won't have a clue. You know, you got you, you might have some, you know, some of those soldiers where they've got a bit about themselves, sort of stand up for themselves. But you've got a 17-year-old lad who's never been in this sort of trouble before. He's now been thrown in front of a panel of of his social betters being told that he's a coward he's been told that you know he's brought shame to himself and his family etc etc he's he's scared to death he hasn't got a clue what's going on and there's no real defense for him so soldiers mate is something that was sometimes looked down upon depends on who the president of the court was so they sometimes wouldn't allow one so you've got some of the some of these instances where some of these lads didn't even have representation in these courtrooms. And that's where I say it comes into the dark side of this. So they get so they've got a prosecution. Of course they've got a prosecution because they need they need a verdict. But these lads they ain't got a clue. They don't know how the law works. They don't have a clue on how um things are done. And they've got no they haven't got their soldier's friend to stand there and go, right, we're gonna try and get you out of this or actually help you make and also help you make sense of what's going on. There's there's um, witness accounts of blokes who were in the courtrooms, you know, especially like officers who actually had to play the part. I would say play the part. They're not actors. <laughs> they had to take on the role of um, soldier's friend, and they stood there and they say like the lad, the lad's shaking. He's you know he hasn't got a clue what's going on. He's scared, and all they're doing is they're just firing into him, firing into him, firing into him, and then suddenly you go right verdict death and that's it you know these 70 year old lads ain't got a crew and they're going to give them the death sentence now not all obviously not all of these young lads are going to get the uh the actual sentence carried out like we've already mentioned but why knowingly with these kangaroo courts especially when you know we have already touched it on already where some of these lads are suffering with um mental health or combat stress or you know whatever and it's and it's plain to see in the courtroom that these men are suffering with this but they're still going ahead with it it's not because they don't understand it all right because they are starting to understand about combat stress the shell shock why are they still sentencing these men to death it's example that's why they're doing it so the reason why they're sending these men to death is to make an example of them. Remember what I said before, how, how harsh military punishment has to be to keep the men in order? 
where they need to have the examples to keep that order. So if you're dealing with an army, so and also the other, th- you know, dealing with an army, even at a battalion level as well, because the men from that soldier's battalion will be witnessing the execution. They might physically see it or they might be adjacent to it, but they'll know it's going on and they'll hear it. They'll hear the shots fired and they'll, you know, have to bury the lad afterwards or the man afterwards. That is to install fear into them. It is to say, look, they've been caught deserting. We're shooting one. So if you desert, you're going to end up shot as well. And that's the fear factor that these men have got to have. And uh, a First World War veteran, a few veterans have been asked in the past, I was almost a poet then, um, you know, what is your thoughts on men being shot for cowardice? And most, and a lot of them even turn around, even, you know, when they're in their 80s and 90s, I said, yeah, it was bad. But if they didn't, we wouldn't have stayed there. So it took for those lads to be executed to keep us in the trenches, basically, and to go over the top as well, because because we had that fear factor. We didn't want to be that person to go in front of a court martial. We didn't want to be that person who's going to be put up against a post and shot. So I think that sort of rounds it off into the perspective of why they're doing this. I'm not saying it's right, you know, because it, it isn't right and what they were doing, but that is the reason why they were doing it. Sorry, Steve, I'm on a bit of a rant there. No need to apologise, mate. It's 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 interesting stuff. You know, I'm I'm sat here and I'm I'm kind of putting myself into position of not necessarily just those guys who are subject to a court martial and you know being found guilty. Would that have stood up in you know a kind of civilian court as such? That would be an interesting sort of rabbit hole to go down at some point. Probably not for this episode. Um, but also the, the the mindset of those guys who are actually in the firing squad as well. You know, I know there's this, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the rifles was loaded with blank ammunition. So you have that kind of get out clause in your mind to say, well, actually, it might not be me who fired the shot at the, at the guy, at my, my pal or, or so-and-so's pal. But that's just such a horrible position to be to be in you know as a soldier you go you're going over to france for instance and you go in there to to shoot the enemy you know to to win the war to fight for king and country you're not there to to shoot you know your next door neighbor if you're in a pals battalion maybe or or someone who you might even loosely be related to for instance it's just such a such a, a sad situation i can see why there's so much so much sorrow and emotion attached to the whole subject and it is it's just it's just crazy. I mean, this is only a hundred, just over a hundred years ago now. A lot's happened since then. There's a lot better understanding of you know when we talked about mental health, PTSD, but also we don't have the death penalty anymore, and we won't go into the gubbins of whether we think that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think we would all mostly say that's a that's a good thing that we don't have it in the army. But yeah, it's it's been a really interesting sort of roller coaster for an episode, especially mm. in what is remembrance week as well it's something you brought up actually steve is where you said about putting yourself into the shoes of the men in that battalion that had to like watch the execution or even indeed take part in that execution as well because the other thing as well that firing squad of blokes from your battalion they might even be from your platoon or even indeed your you know your company or even your section 
So you're putting one of your own boys, especially if you're at sec- if it's one of your lads in your section, you know, you're you're executing him. And and when you're saying when you mentioned that, that brought up another thing I came across when I was doing the research for this. And again, can't remember the name of the lad, but he was 17. He was one of these 17-year-olds who and he actually ended up with a kangaroo court, basically. They knew he was underage. Um and yeah, they knew he was underage, and he was suff- and he was one of the ones that was actually suffering with um, stress. And they just again, they just wanted an example, but the but the men knew what was happening, and they were like, "Hang on a minute, they're they're putting the they're putting the they're putting hang on, no, this this isn't that this ain't right. We know he's only seventeen. You can't be doing this to a seventeen year old. If it's like one of the twenty year olds, yeah, fair enough." You ain't doing it to him. We know he's lied about his age and all the rest of it. And the firing squad mutinied, believe it or not. And how did they mutiny? Well, they got called in. So the like you've said already, Steve, the blank, the blanks and the live was all put into the weapons by the officer in command of the detachment. They picked up their rifles. They aimed at him. They fired. But they all fired away from him. So they still carried out their duty. They just didn't actually physically point the rifle at him. They actually pointed them just adjacent of him and fired. They then got told reload because they haven't done it. So it fired again, still didn't do it. Then they all got told, if you don't do it, then we're going to put you all on a charge for disobeying lawful order and all that sort of thing. So the lads then reloaded, fired, Again, a couple of them fired off. A couple of them hit him, and he was still alive. And it was down to the detachment commander, which was a, uh, I think it was the second lieutenant, if I remember correctly. He was down then down to him because the detachment commander of the firing squad, he was the man who had to fire the finishing round. Because not because obviously, if you get shot, you don't always die straight outright. You you know. Um, so it was then job to that of that officer to take a revolver, put it to the man's head, and pull the trigger. He was told to go and do that because he had to go and carry out his duty. He refused to go and basically finish the lad. He refused to do it. Then he got told, "You don't do it. You're going to be on a charge, and you're going to be court-martialed, and we're going to make sure you're going to be on that post as well." in the next couple of days because we haven't had an officer, you know, we haven't had an officer for a while. So it then it was a, again, it's going to that slightest excuse. If that officer hadn't have done what he did, you know, finishing the young lad off, he would have been executed as well for the sole purpose of example. So, right, this officer hasn't done what he's told. He's been told to do this, and he's not done it. So we're going to execute him because it shows that the officer class or the officer corps aren't exempt from being executed as well. It's totally ruthless stuff. It's um, you, you just can't imagine it. It's, it's, it's thankfully, you know, it's a completely different, different world. It, ruling with and instilling fear in people to try and get the best out of them. It doesn't doesn't always work. Thankfully, we did win the war and things did change in terms of law and order post-war. But uh, something significant happened much more recently, didn't it? So in terms of the government issuing a pardon. Yes, they did. And this was like in the lead up 
like to the cent- in the sort of centenary season where they actually for for well for for years uh the families of these men um have put, have constantly petitioned the government to get these men pardoned because it's still a sentence at the end of the day um whether they were innocent or you know guilty of it they they were executed and that's that black stamp against them so for years many families and descendants have have petitioned to get them pardoned and in the sort of lead up to the centennial during the centenary they actually did it they reviewed the cases and not all of them got off or hastened to add as well so out of the 346 men who were shot at dawn 306 of them were pardoned although that's 100 years too late yes just just a, a little bit so those 306 who were pardoned what what were the crimes that that were pardoned or is it just one crime or is it does it is, is it the whole lot yeah so when i looked into it i i i, I sort of sat with the figures and go well what realistically have they pardoned so obviously murderers weren't going to be pardoned um so that's 37 already so we just need to find nine more people so you've got mutiny disobedience striking or uh striking or violent to superiors but then you got desertion cowardice for the enemy quitting the post and things like that there's got to be reason behind that so what it what i reckon it could be so i personally think murderers wouldn't even got a look in so like i said that's some that's a massive percentage of that uh 346 already i think where they went through the case files and i think if there was if it was well recorded as well and you know bear in mind you got judges solicitors and people like that going you know we've got you know the legal minds of this land going through this stuff and going well if we're there at the time then yeah it's plain to see that this person is guilty of this crime so that's obviously where they've had to look into it and gone well so no we unfortunately for this one or fortunately depends on what the crime was no we we can't we're not going to pardon them so it could be any of them so it could be any of the any of the uh, any of the of the below that have already been mentioned this evening or in this podcast. Sorry, I said this evening because we're filming it, and recording in the evening. But yeah, that, that's that's that that that's what I believe anyway. Well, I have to admit it's been a really enlightening episode. Of although the subject matter is not exactly the, the nicest thing to talk about, it it's interesting and it it doubles into why we why we do this podcast because you know we do enjoy doing it we we do tackle in some cases controversial subjects i'm sure this will kick up a bit of a uh, uh, controversy with with certain people but we've tried to approach it and I, I believe we have fulfilled the criteria approaching it with a very level headed view and not certainly not letting modern thinking uh, sort of blur the lines at all in that sense now mm. what i'm going to do is i'm going to Thank you, Pete, for joining. And I'm going to do something a little bit different to finish this episode off, considering we are in Remembrance Week. Uh, I'm not going to read poetry. Don't worry about that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to recite the words of Private Charles Frederick McColl of the 1st 4th East Yorkshire Regiment. Now, 
Private McColl in late 1917 was in the dock. Um, he was in there for uh, quite a serious offence. It was for desertion at this point. So these are the words that he spoke and was noted down in that court-martial. And I think it kind of brings a level of humanity to it in the sense of what we're talking about. These are real events and these, this happened to real, real people. I was brought out of the guard room before going up to the line and was in a weak position. This was about the 26th of October, 1917. We marched up to Marswan Farm. I had complaints brought on by shellfire. I have heart failure and nervousness. I've been with this battalion for six months, but only reported sick once. I always shake from head to foot when we go into the trenches. I enlisted in September 1914, went to Egypt in November 1915, and came to France in April 1916. I was buried by a shell at Colin Camps in September 1916 with the 12th East Yorkshire. I was on two or three raids and then my nerves went. I was invalided home in September 1916, suffering from heart failure and nervousness, and was classified A3 at the finish and sent back to France without any medical examination. Since joining this battalion, I've tried to do my best. When I went off, they dropped shells all around me, and this upset me more and more, and I wandered away. At Calais, I was in weak condition and handed myself into the military police. I am not fit now. I had a knock on the head from a shell in Buswood. I came from an exempted trade, a shipyard plater, to join the army voluntarily in 1914. I am the only support of my mother, who is a widow. I have tried to do my best. Private McColl was found guilty of desertion. This was confirmed by Field Marshal Haig, and at 0741 hours on the 28th of September 1917, aged 26, he was shot at dawn. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.